What were Jesus's last words? Go out into the whole world and make disciples. This Catholic podcast is all about helping you say yes to the final and greatest invitation of Jesus, the adventure you were made for. Together, let's explore what business, education, organizational leadership, popes, saints, and scriptures say about fulfilling the Great Commission. Welcome back, friends. Great to be with you. I would like you to think about today the best team you have ever been a part of, the best team you've ever worked on, maybe the best team you've ever played on. But if it's a business or maybe like one of those those groups that you were working on in, in college to complete a project, picture those people. Who were they and what were they good at? What skills, attributes, and gifts did they bring to that team? What was the team like? What would you say the team really, really excelled at? If you've been a part of one of these teams, you know that they are a joy to work with and work on. They're full of awesome people who have the right skills, the right gifts. They work with each other. They're not selfish. They want to. They want everyone to win. They want everyone to succeed. It is a, a huge gift and a huge blessing to be a part of a team like that. And most of us have been on teams that aren't always like that. So we are talking today about how you can develop your own ministry team to be like that first kind, the kind that is so fun to work with, the kind that's so successful, so efficient, so so easy to be a part of, because we think that is a key to ministry. You can get so much more done when you are a part of a team. And so for this episode today, we are talking about our team charter, how to build a team that is really, really, really going to work for you and your ministry. So Justin, what is the what's the goal here? Like, what do we what are we trying to share with people with the team charter? Well, we're trying to give folks a framework uh, for building a team because it's really easy that if you're not intentional when you're building your team about what you want that team to look like, how you want them to behave, if you're not intentional about that, you can just bring a group of people together and then you all start moving in different directions and you end up getting nowhere. So it's just really important as you're building a team, you have to have an idea in your mind of what you want this team to do, how you want them to act together and, and uh, where you want them to go together. Well said. So w- with this, we're really sharing with you kind of some of our own foibles of what we uh, what we learned along the way of recognizing, oh, wow, it would have been really great if we had this in place at the beginning before people got entrenched in doing something that we really didn't want them to do, but they just kind of fell into because it's something they were interested in. And so we we help you ask the questions and, and come up with the design for this so that you don't have to recreate the wheel on your own. So before we go any further, we just want to put a little plug out there. Um, We love doing this. We love sharing these ideas. And uh, what we want so much is for everyone in the church who is working in ministry as a volunteer or full-time or part-time paid for these great men and women to, to have access to these ideas, to these frameworks so that they can immediately begin implementing, uh, these ideas into their ministry, getting better results, being more fruitful. So I would invite you, if you know someone working in ministry, share this podcast with them, please say, Hey, you know what? Here's some really, really great stuff on running a successful ministry to, to be outward focused, to be mission focused, to embrace our evangelization vocation. Uh, And if they're a book reader, maybe consider buying the book for them and sharing it with them or telling them about it, sending the link and say, Hey, this is a great book. Yep. And I I just want to add, we want you to feel confident Okay, we want you to feel confident in what you're doing. It's very easy sometimes in ministry to feel like you're on an island, that you are all alone, you know, and 
Um, we want you to have these tools in your tool belt so that when you're starting a ministry or an outreach, you know what to do and when to do it, you know? So that's why Dan and I are doing this. Yeah. So Justin, let's jump right in. Um, what is the, I'm going to share our team charter here. Uh, so let's start with purpose. Why is this one, why is this so important? And this is starting to sound a little bit like a broken record here. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's, but it's funny, I was just on a retreat with the team today and we were reminded again, the importance of your focus. You know, we lose focus all the time. So even when you're creating a team, you gotta think, okay, what am I asking this team to do? Is this a steering team for a ministry? Is this a planning team? Is this an advisory team? Because you know what can happen too is sometimes you think you want a team, you want a team of doers. That's really what you want. But if you're not intentional from the beginning, you can all of a sudden bring on a team of just advisors, people that give you their opinions, but then they expect you to do all the work. Guys, don't fall into that trap. We've all fallen into that trap. You've got to set up your team the right way. So if you know from the get-go you want a team of doers, you set that expectation early on and say to anyone you're inviting in, hey, this is a team where everybody's going to be expected to pitch in. It's going to be five to 10 hours of work. Are you up for that? It's better to get the no early than uh, just try to and I've tried to do this before. I've tried to string people along on a team that really shouldn't have been on the team. It ends up dragging the whole team down. So you need to be clear up front with what you're trying to accomplish with the team. Yeah. And the we'll go back to the five W's. You can you you can get your purpose clear by thinking through the five W's. So if you have not answered those questions, especially why are you why does your ministry exist? Why are you doing what you are doing? Um, I would I'd highly recommend go check out that episode or um, or you can check it out in the book, learning about why your ministry exists so that you can make sure everything you are doing after that is headed in the right direction and flows from the right purpose. Yeah, because Dan, I know you and I, as we were writing the book, we went back and forth a little bit. Should ministry plan come first or team charter come first? But we, we wound up back with your ministry plan comes first. You have to know what you're trying to do. Then you build the team. It'd be kind of weird to build a team and then just start doing stuff. You know, Christ himself, I mean, folks, we got to believe that Jesus knew what he was going to accomplish with the disciples before he called them forward. He called them together. He went up on the mountain to pray and then he came down. And so, so same thing applies to us, guys. We've got to have a clear vision from our Lord of, of where, where he's calling us in the vineyard. Then it becomes easier to, to get the team involved. Yes. So our next step on there, Justin, is the name. This is kind of the fun part. We don't need to, people don't need to spend a ton of time doing this, but it's always fun to think about like, what should we call ourselves? What should our team name be? Something really, really cool. Uh, and I know your, your, your background is in marketing. So what are your thoughts on naming a team? So I think people might think this is cheesy. This is dumb. Why do I have to name my team? How many times have you been on a team where everybody on the team called you guys something different? Or as people refer to your team, like, oh, that's the core team. That's the leadership team. That's the whatever. What are you? You know, so uh, to give an example, um, a couple teams that started around here, the theme was discipleship, right? So we, we use that in the name. So people knew, okay, this is different than a usual team. They really, and it, so basically you want everyone to call the team the same thing because words are powerful also. And if there's a word that's gotten like, a little stale or misinterpreted. Like for example, the word core, you know, we have core team for all these different outreaches. Core means different things to a lot of different groups. So you just want to be clear with your team that it, with your name, that it represents which, what you're doing. And it's something that everyone can consistently use to describe you. 
Yeah, and it's I, I think sometimes we can spend so much time coming up with a, a cool kitschy name that we like don't spend as, enough time doing some of the other more important things. And one of those is clarity on the roles of each of the members. So who is a part of the team and what they're doing. So Justin, tell us a little bit more about the importance of being clear up front with the members and what they're expected to do. Yeah. And okay. So this goes back to one of our very first episodes and it was actually a study by Google on what's the most uh, uh, habits of effective teams. And one of them was there was clarity and structure in those teams. So for example, I remember one time our mutual friend, Amanda, uh, years back, I was leading a young adult group and our team was trying to act like, oh, you know, we're all kind of leaders here. There's no, there's no main leader. And Amanda was like, who gets the call when the caca hits the fan? And I was like, that's me. She's like, great, you're the chair. And <laughs> whether we whether we define it or not, someone's going to end up being defined as the head honcho. So it's better to be clear about that. You don't want people stepping on each other's toes. But Dan, uh, you kind of led the writing of this chapter in the book. I think you did a great job about that. So love to hear some, some of your thoughts about what can go wrong, too, if we're not clear about who's doing what. Yeah, absolutely. So I like to think of this as, uh, or at least jobs need owners. And we don't want to ever leave a job out there in the cold without an owner and someone to take care of it. And so um, one thing that I've done is, this, this is not necessarily a kind of a big picture thing, but within each meeting, um, at the top of the agenda, I list who is going to do what in that meeting. So who is going to take minutes and who is going to write down the action items and who is just going to make sure that we keep on schedule so that it, it's not you know the same person doing it every time. And that has helped all of us know this is this person's job. Like here's a task that we discussed and I'm assigning it to someone or making sure it gets done. So it's actually a little fun that that like the person who's doing the the action items, they have the power to say, you're doing this now and you're doing this now. And it's, it's, it's in good fun and it's respectful of people and it's all within their appropriate spheres. Um, but if we are unclear, that is going to lead to on, on who is expected to do what that will lead to so much frustration for people in the, the long run. And um, not, not just who is going to do what, but how they're going to do it. So there's a really good book that I read probably a couple of years ago called The E-Myth by Michael Gerber, I think it is. And he was an early consultant in Silicon Valley when tech startups were, were no one knew what a tech startup was. They were getting started up at the really at the start of things. And so he was at the, the forefront of this and he came up with this, this concept of franchise mentality for uh really for like lots of different business blueprints. And his thought on this was you want to eliminate discretion as much as possible in the kind of the execution of tasks. So there's a time for creative thinking. There's a time for saying like, okay, let's go big picture. Let's put everything on the wall. Let's, let's uh, really dream here. But then in the actual execution in the day to day, so customer service is a great one with this, or you could say marketing is a great one with this. Like you don't want people to have to come up with the different colors for the ads every single time. Like be decide that early on and say, okay, here's, here's the colors that we are using in all of our marketing. And so whoever's designing that and sending that out, they don't even have to think about it. They just know that's their color scheme. And so that was one of the first things we did is I created a little color palette with the actual code so that when we go in to create the the, the logos and the artwork for our episodes, we know this is the the kind of the, the playground that we can play within. Um, and I think those 
those things, clarity on who is supposed to do what and um, what each of those tasks looks like helps alleviate some of the confusion and the frustration that people have. And it just gives enough direction that people can start and they're not wasting their time trying to figure out what am I being asked to do here? And they know this is what I'm being asked to do. So I'll, I'll borrow it for another book. This is Brene Brown, Dare to Lead. And she came up with this, this phrase with one of her coworkers, um, paint done for me. In other words, what does done look like? Mm -hmm. And that when you are, when you're speaking with someone on the team, especially if you are the in charge of the team, you're the chair to, to make sure that your vision of what done looks like and the other person's of the other person's vision of what done looks like match up. And those two things are the same. And so, um, this takes a little bit more time up front, but it mm -hmm. saves a lot of time in, in follow through and, and the way things develop. Yeah, I spent some time in IT consulting and a very similar concept is called exit criteria. So you have a conversation between someone from the business side saying, hey, we need this mobile app to do this thing. The developer said, OK, basically what you just shared in paint me done. What does done mean? And you, the, the business, the business person would define in the exit criteria. I need to be able to do this, this and this. Right. And that's kind of like a contract. And that's the thing about roles and responsibilities, it's like a mutual understanding among the team of who's doing what. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to add one one thing to, to maybe put some people at ease is, guys, don't feel like you have to have all these things figured out as soon as the team gets started. You want to figure out as, as much as you can, but teams will go through four phases typically. Uh, form, they just get to know each other. And they're trying to work nicely. Then they're going to storm because they're figuring out their roles and how they work with each other. Then they're going to hit norm where they figure out how they work together and then finally perform because they're all in the right place doing the right thing. So, you know, because when you think about roles and responsibilities, you know, I've been working with the team recently where I initially I thought our roles would split up a certain way. But then as I worked with the team for a few months, I realized this is actually not going to work because people's gifts and talents are set up a little differently than I had first imagined. And now we're instead of working more and I thought we'd spread out like we had one priority and then we'd each do a little bit of that priority. But what I figured out is it's easier if each of us just has one priority that we're working on and are kind of the leads of those areas, because this team doesn't get to check in with each other that often. Right. And each of us is very passionate about different things. So also you want to you want to match people's roles and responsibilities with their gifts, their talents and their interests. That's what's going to keep them motivated. If you try to put that square peg in a round hole, if you say you're in charge of the Bible study and they're like, I don't like it and they, they, they just don't want to do it, they're going to either leave the team or be a big distraction. And it's not. So that's something, too, that I think is just cooperating with the Holy Spirit. A lot of times we have a vision of what everyone's going to do and how it's going to work. We have to like be a little bit, let the Holy Spirit's creativity play out a little bit and, and let people do things they're really passionate about and they feel called to do within the ministry. Yeah, I think it's there's a, a balance there of allowing people to do the things they're good at. So if you think, all right, let's say you um, you work at a diocesan level or, or you work in a parish and there's a team of people who support you in uh, in executing your ministry. And, and um, let's say it's a it's adult ministry or it's RCIA or you have all of these different opportunities for for adults to learn more, to draw closer to the Lord. And you're going to have some people who have gifts and talents and interests in some areas that are very helpful. Um and then you're going to have other people who have, they, they might want to do those things, but they're not as good at it. And, but they'll be good at something else. 
but it's never going to be this clean divide of saying like, okay, well, Justin really loves, you know, writing our, our reflections. And so he gets to do that. No one else gets to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, what I have found is that uh, sometimes people just have more gifts in one certain area than, than other people. And so the temptation is to give this person more tasks and to say, okay, well, you know, I'm going to give you seven things to do because I know you're going to get them all done. Whereas this other person, they, you know, this isn't what they're doing full time. And so they're not as good at some of those things. So I'm only going to give them two. And that's going to lead to resentment on the part of the person who has seven tasks to do. And it probably is going to lead to resentment on the part of the person who has two, because they're immediately going to think you don't respect me enough to let me try and get better at this. And so, yeah, yeah, they might not be as good at it, but that doesn't mean that they can't, still perform at a great level. So there's some discussion there of opportunity cost and, you know, what do you want to take away from the person who's really good at certain things? You want to still let them thrive in areas, but there will be a little bit of give and take in, uh, in a kind of assigning roles and asking people to assume responsibilities, but clarity is key. If we are clear on what people need to do and what we want them to do, then we are going to avoid a lot of pitfalls. Yeah, and I, I totally agree with what you said, Dan, about you, you got to give people room to grow and develop, right? Um, so, you know, let people try new things, give them that space, let them fail. It's key that people feel that freedom that it's okay if they mess up, because if they don't feel like it's okay if they mess up, they're going to be afraid to take risks. But like you said, it's a cost or cost analysis there of, you know, I think when you're letting someone risk something and try something new, make sure it's not something that's mission critical. So for example, if you really need to do an awesome job with the schedule of a day, don't give that to someone where it might, that might fail. I really would caution against that, but let someone experiment with something that maybe isn't so mission critical, like say marketing for an event that maybe isn't the biggest priority. If you want them to get better in that area, let them try that. So just yeah. you got to be judicious as a leader about when you let people fail. I'll give you an example from college football. I'm a big college football fan. I went to University of Florida. Go Gators. Uh, we'll see if I'm still saying that when this episode airs, <laughs> but we're looking good right now. And, um, you know, one thing is the coaches give the younger players opportunities to play, usually later in games or what's known as garbage time, because it's good experience for them. And it's OK if they throw an interception. It's OK if they make a fumble then. They don't put them in the game when the game is on the line, right? So I think we need to apply that to our teams as well. No, that's a, that's a great point. We uh, When something's critical, we allow the people who are really expert at that to, to perform there. But we still give people the opportunity to grow and improve. So, it's a balance. That's a, that's a great point, Justin, of allowing people to, uh, to step into their strengths for something critical. Um, but we still want to allow people to grow and develop and get better at some aspects of ministry so that we really do have this robust team and that we, uh, we allow people to continue to grow, which is going to be really from f- fulfilling for them in, in, law, in the long term. And that's, I think, a great step into uh, my favorite part of the team charter, which is core values. This and is your sweet spot, Dan. You I love, really, you love really core values. I do. And so I, to me, these are like touchstones. So if you don't know what a touchstone is, it goes back to a time when we didn't have accurate scales and we couldn't, people couldn't tell, probably was more than just scales, but people wouldn't know if, if you were trying to sell them gold, if it was real gold or what purity it was. And so you might come and bring them fool's gold or something else and they would have no idea. And you could, you could take a lot of their money for giving them a useless rock. 
but a touchstone is a, it's a, a substance that was hard enough so that you could leave streaks of different values of gold. So let's say like 24 karat and 18 karat and, and you know, I don't know what the other grades are, but um, it would reveal the different purities. And so you would have a streak on there or you might have a, a piece of gold and you say, I know this is real gold and it's this value. And so I'm going to leave a streak and this other person is selling me something and you're going to compare it. And that would allow you to know what they're doing is true. It's authentic. It, it's what it's supposed to be. And our core values are like that. So when we match up the core values with our own behavior and the way we're, we're living as a team, the way we're living, really the way we're living our faith and the way we're working professionally, it allows us to see, are we being who we want to be right now? Is this the team that it, that it needs to be, or are we, are we doing something different? And so it's, it points us back to, the right direction. It, and really, they're ultimately going to point us back to our purpose because they're subordinated to that. Uh, but here were the some of the, the core values that we used when we were developing this book and when we were developing a podcast. Prayer, honesty, partnership, personal holiness, and truth and charity. And we chose those because prayer was important to us because we thought, okay, um, we need to allow the Lord to guide this. This can't be just the Dan and Justin show. And then honesty, we did not want any disagreement to fester and turn into bitterness. So mm -hmm. we, it was, we just gave each other permission to be upfront. And that was, I would say that where that was most useful was in editing our chapters. Yep. If we thought that the other person didn't write something well, we had, we knew we had full permission to say yep. that doesn't sound good enough. We have yep. to fix it. And I don't think we were ever jerks about it. Like, I don't no. think you, I know you were never a jerk about it. I hope I was never a jerk. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, and then equal partnership that this was not, you know, this wasn't going to be like the, the Justin show or the Dan show. This was like, this is about the Lord. This isn't about us. And so we're not trying to make it about us. Right. And see the example from our own work together, Dan, I think illustrates well the importance of having that conversation up front about what are, what's important to this team, because we stated that early on, um, we, we were able to be more direct and honest when it got to the heavy lifting in the middle of, of writing the book. And so people can glaze over this section thing. Oh, that's, that's silly stuff. Who cares guys? It matters a lot. And if you have, however many people you have in your team is however many different sets of core values are going to be important to them. And people are going to share stuff that's going to blow you away and make you wake up too. You know, I was part of a team of men that's, that's leading a, a ministry. And one of the guys brought up the core value of sacrifice. I like sacrifice. And he's like, you know, true manhood requires sacrifice and this team needs to be sacrificial in our love. And that's always stuck with me because he's right. He's so right. So, so like you said, Dan, like the, the touchstone brings out the most pure version of yourself. When people share the things that are important to them as they work together, especially in laboring for the Lord, they are going to get real open and honest. So if you want like a quick path to have an open and honest team, it's discuss core values up front and clearly, clearly explain them to each other. Cause it, it usually just saying the word doesn't even do it just, you have to have a conversation about it, right. you know, chair, clarity. What do you mean by that? Um, why is that so important to you? What's happened in your past in other teams that's made that so important to you? So it does bring out, you know, what's in the heart. Yeah. And I would say these are one of those, these are some of those invisible building blocks of culture 
that start to create the culture you want within your team because it, it allows people to make it their own and say, well, this is important to me and I want to bring this to the table. And the rest of us say, well, I respect that and I welcome that and I'm going to honor that. And I'm going to live by that too. So there's sharing values going on, which is really, really key. Mm-hmm. Now, this next one is the communication plan. And so, uh, Justin, what's the what's the real payoff of having a communication plan in place? You know, I think just stating how you're going to communicate with each other does a few things, one of which is it determines the pace of this team. You know, how often you're able to meet is going to pretty much determine your output as a team. If you're only able to meet monthly, you're only going to get a certain amount accomplished. But if you're able to check in daily or weekly, you can, you can do more. Um, but, but also it, it just... Uh, level sets with everyone about how often you're going to be communicating and, and, and in what form as well, because some folks might like emails, some do not, some want to meet face to face. It helps you know just how the team likes to communicate and how often. And I think, I think this section more than the others, it's for me, it's really about level setting on the pace of how often, how much does everyone have to give to this team? Yeah, a lot of times people in ministry are juggling several things, you know, including things outside of ministry. Right, right. And we have the best of intentions when we leave a team meeting, we're like, I'm going to get all the things done. And then we go back to work or we go back to life and all of those things distract us. And so um, being clear about the the frequency and how you're going to communicate. One of the, the ways, one of the things I really liked about the way we worked on the book was we weren't trying to to use multiple modes of communication. It was just, we're using this file sharing service only. All of our files are there. And that way I could see what you did. I don't think only once did we start working on different versions of a document. So that was over the course of 11 months. Only once did we start working on different versions of a document. And luckily it wasn't too much. We were able to to, to go back and, and sort things out. What paved the the way for us and and showed us the way to go was that you had already kind of gone down that road and said, okay, this is what we should do. This is how we should communicate. So that's a great point, Dan, that you just brought up about even the the software and programs you're going to use. Because, you know, some people are like, I like doing my work in this. I like doing my work in this. And they just think everyone does that. And then you find out. No, everybody does. I mean, I would say you're more on the... um, on the early adapter side of, of, a, of a diagram, right? And I'm more on the, maybe not lagger, but whatever's the next one. You know, I wait till it's proven to do it. So that's going to impact what, what programs you're using. So you need to be on the same page because the worst thing is duplicating work, having the same work in different places and having to clean that up later. Yeah, it also helps with that. Indeed. Well, that wraps up the team charter. I'm going to throw it back up on the screen for you so you can see it again. So the first point is to determine the purpose and then come up with a name. Be very clear about the members and the roles and then list your core values. So we actually have a a list in the appendix of our book, Go Make Disciples, of a whole bunch of recommended core values. And then finally, the communication plan, how we'll communicate with each other. Uh, meetings included. So if you are just listening on the podcast and you don't get to see this, you can check it out on the Facebook page or on the YouTube channel. Um, you'll see just, uh, it should come up really quickly, the the diagram for a team charter. Yeah, or buy the book because in the book we go into further details too about how do you make this charter part of your uh, rituals as a team so that you're reminded of it. Uh, we go more in depth. We have a whole chapter on teams and the team charter. So if you have, if you've been listening, uh, I, don't, I don't like the way I did that. I'm going to, I'll go back again. 
So that wraps up our, our team charter episode. And uh, we would again invite you, if this is something you're passionate about, if, if you are really feeling like the Lord is calling you to participate in missionary discipleship and others around you, one of the best ways you could do that is to, to gather a group of people and begin sharing these ideas with them. And if you already feel like you, you get them and you, you've got them mastered, that's awesome. That's exactly what we wanted with this podcast and the book. So you can begin meeting with people, coming up with your own team to begin uh, executing those those key frameworks of flock experience and the discipleship funnel and the iterative process to begin making disciples. But if you know people who would need a little bit more help to get on board with, we would love for you to share the podcast and the book with them, especially if they're working in ministry in the church, whether they're a DRE, a youth minister, a pastor, a deacon, because we are very passionate as you are about helping the church embrace our missionary identity and get back to being a missionary people. So that's it for this episode. God bless you all. And we look forward to the next one.